good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn back in the Word of God to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles 22 and the verse number 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. Here we have in the context the exhortation of David to the princes of Israel that they would help Solomon in the the building of the the temple unto God's name. The story is pretty familiar. We've read some of the background. David had a heart to build a house for the Lord. He was a man of war, and the Lord says to him, No, I'll build you a house. Of course, we we see in that the coming Messiah. The Lord will build a house for David, but David's son, a man of peace, will have the task of Building a house for the Lord. And so as you read these Old Testament verses, and whether it be the tabernacle in the Exodus, or whether it be the temple here in these books of the Kings, you must understand that the temple and the tabernacle are pictures and types. Oh, they were, they were very real opportunities to worship God for those who were alive at that time. But when you go to Hebrews, it's very clear that they are types and shadows. And they're types and shadows of a heavenly tabernacle, of a heavenly temple. And so as the high priest would go into the holiest of all, so Christ has entered heaven by his own blood. And so we're seeing that in these types and shadows, whether it be tabernacle or temple, we are in our minds being directed ahead to the time and where the people of God will worship God by the blood that's been shed on their behalf. It's a type and a shadow. But at the same time, we should also remember that the gathering of the New Testament church is intended to be a reflection of heaven. That as we gather here, we do so imperfectly. We do so as a multitude, some of whom may be hypocrites in the midst. But what do we do here? We gather to worship God. We gather to have our eyes upon the Lamb upon the throne. We do so by the blood-sprinkled way. And we are intended to be a foreshadowing of the glory that's yet to come. And so the tabernacle and the temple points forward to heaven. As we see our final state, it teaches us regarding our present existence as a church. And therefore, it is valid and proper. To draw out principles of application regarding the construction of the tabernacle or the temple. The Lord himself in various places uses the the, the pictures of of building as as a picture of the church. Christ is said to build his church. There's construction involved. Here we have in this in this text, arise and build, verse 19. We understand, of course. In Ephesians chapter 2, in Christ we are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
Our, our final state in glory is as a spiritual building. Christ being the cornerstone and we being gathered together as, as living stones in the building. You think also, you turn over please uh, very briefly to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the verse number 9. And there is a, a transition in this chapter from the, 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 the metaphor that is used. Uh, initially, Paul is referring to the plant that grows. One man sows, uh, another waters, and God gives the increase. And then in verse 9, he says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. That's uh, referring back to the, uh, the agricultural imagery. And then moving from the husbandry, ye are God's building. And according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Which is a sense here, is it not, that the New Testament church building upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets is a building, people constructing an architecture for the glory of God. And so I suggest to you that there are, that there are certainly very uh, clear reasons to look back to David's instructions here in First Chronicles and, and see, well, what would they teach us regarding the work of God here? I have, I have five very, very, very simple words of encouragement to your souls today from this text. I want to, uh, I want to highlight particularly the last two, but let me begin by noting our submission. As we are building in the work of God, we, we do so with a submissive spirit. And our submission is to labor under our king. Look at the words of verse number 17. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son. And there's a sense in which they were going to work under Solomon's instruction. Verse number 1 of chapter 23. So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king of Israel. And so when you consider the word of God, you see, who is the one who said to build the temple? Not the people, but Solomon. Solomon is given the task of building the temple. It's, it's his role. It's his project. And yet there is the acknowledgement that those who will help him, here the princes are mentioned, they are going to do so, helping Solomon under Solomon's rule and reign. Again, it's just another picture. We are those who are seeking to build for God, and we do so under the disposition of our king. How can Christ be said to build his church? And yet Paul said, I'm a master builder. And the sense is that the authority, the architect, is Christ. He is the one who's laboring with us in the work. But we are also those who labor under him and in submission to him. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom marked by peace and by wisdom. Just like Solomon. Solomon had the task of building this kingdom because the Lord had given him rest on every side. It is significant, I believe, that the New Testament church is built after the coming of Christ, the Prince of Peace. In the incarnation songs, the angels come and they announce what? Peace on earth. We understand from Christ's work in the cross. He's reconciling both unto God by the cross. His, his work is a work of peace. Peace between God and man. Peace between man and man in the church. No longer the dividing line of Jew and Gentile, but the people of God together in one body. And as one body, they're going to labor under their peaceful king. And so we're reminded that our submission is to Christ 
And so as we labor, we are, we are laboring for Christ. We're not laboring for ourselves. We're laboring for our king. We're under our king. And we are submissive to his rule. He is one greater than Solomon. Queen of Sheba comes to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Christ says, there's one greater than Solomon, and it's him. I am myself, says Christ. I am greater than Solomon. And so we labor under this wise king in the confident knowledge that what he asks us to do is wise. His reign is marked by infinite wisdom. Christ will never ask his church or his people to do something that is foolish or unwise. He always directs his people. And as he directs his people, he directs them in wisdom. And so we have, we have in the scriptures, we have the instruction manual for building a New Testament church. We build through the preaching of the word as the people of God pray for the spirit of God. That's the instruction. That's how you build the church. And we understand that in our submission to Christ, we're submitting to a wise king. I just want to remind you of that. I understand you know it. But as we consider the life and the work of a church, we must never, ever move far away that our work for the church of Christ is for the Christ of the church. And that as we work for him, we do so in loyalty and in love to your king. So that's something regarding our submission. What about our presentation then next in the second place, note our presentation. You have there in the verse number 19 again. Now, set your heart and your soul. Now, you may say, well, I don't quite see presentation in those words. Uh, and I'll be honest, initially I had the word preparation. That our hearts must be in the right place to do the work of God. That, that we can't do God's work without having our hearts fixed. But when you actually look at the text... The duty that is stated here is to set your heart. And the word for set is, is from the, the root word to give. To consider this in terms of how do we set our hearts? We, we set our hearts by, by giving our hearts. Turn please to Proverbs chapter 23. For in Proverbs 23 we have a, we have a very similar verse that has the, the same word that is used there in First uh, Chronicles 22, it's in the verse, the verse number 26. My son, give me thine heart. And the word give there is the same root word that we have for the word set used over in First Chronicles 22. My, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. If you know the, the context here, the context is the danger of a son giving his heart to the things of this world. And those of you who have raised Children will understand that that's just a constant fear you have as you raise your children. Oh, that they would not give their hearts to this world and its pleasures, to this world and its money. Oh, that they would give their hearts to the Lord. As the sense of there's a preparation here. You know, it is God's will that he has your heart. That's God's will. There's no contesting that. As you sit in the presence of God today, he, he demands your heart. And you're to give your heart wholly for the work of God. The father is stating in this, in this verse to the son, give me your devotion. Give me your love. Give me your affection. Don't let your heart be distracted by other things. Make sure your heart's in the right place. In terms of a love for Christ and his work. 
That's the need. Here's a need for the heart being given. And you will see that that sense of that word, it makes sense when you read the rest of the verse in First Chronicles 22. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. If the duty stated is to set your heart, the disposition implied is to seek and depend upon God. We will, we will only, we will only seek God properly when our hearts are set. We must first drive out every idol from our hearts. We put God first in our affairs and then we, we seek His face. God's work, it must be done with a spiritual mind and the determination to pray. The heart of the church is the heart of God's people. We know the heart is important from Christ's own words, the church in Revelation. You've left your first love. You can't leave it there, dear believer. You, 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 you can't just ignore that fact. Writing to believers, he says, you've left your first love. You've allowed your heart to be consumed with other things. Your affections are dominated by the world or by popularity or by fame or whatever it might be. And you allowed your heart to be taken away from the Lord. What's your duty? Repent. That is the need if we are to set our hearts. Repent of every form of idolatry. The dearest idol I have known. Help me to tear it from the throne. And worship only thee. And as a church sets its heart to seek God, then it sets its heart to pray. There's a Reverend Moore who wrote upon the, the revival in Ulster, 1859, who described what was happening in the hearts of people when revival came. He says this, the special object of their society was prayer. This was the, the prayer meetings held in a place called Kells at the beginning of the revival in 1859. The special object of their society was prayer that God would bless the preach of the gospel in the congregation. Simple. Not complex. But the object of those men who set to pray and seek God's face, it was that God would bless the preaching of the gospel. He says this, Surely when God's set time has come, when he intends signally to answer prayer, he disposes the supplicant to plead, and with growing anxiety to plead on till the blessing is secured. That's what happens when God comes upon a congregation. There's a stirring up of the hearts of the people that they would set their heart to seek the face of God. If we are going to, and I say this advisedly, if we are going to help our king in this place, we will only do so when our hearts are in the right place. Examine your heart, be ruthless with every sin and with every idol and set your hearts to get to the place of prayer. Matthew Henry says this, make religion your choice in business. Then you will grudge no pains, no cost to promote the building of God's sanctuary. Make true religion, Christ's religion, your choice in business. So that's our presentation. It's of our hearts. Our occupation very quickly. Again, back to the text we have. And I set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are laborers together. Laborers. Certainly involves work. Our building work is not bricks and mortar, but living souls. We all have 
different roles in the building work. Some are given the gifts to preach the word. Others are giving a, given a personality that would, that would speak to a stranger in the street. All of God's people are given the spirit of God. For every part of God's church, they have the ability to mix the mortar in the place of prayer. That's what puts the church together, isn't it? So we all have different functions. And so what does the Lord say to us today? Arise. Get up. Be active in the Lord's work. You've got to have a right aim. See souls added. But there is a need for activity. That's our occupation. What about our ambition? Well, we have that also here in this text. Because there, there to arise and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Here's, here's what's involved. Build the temple so that we can bring in the ark. That's what, that's what David is telling the princes. This is, this is to be your ambition. It's not. He does not say build this temple so that the world outside can look and say, whoa, what a marvelous building that is. What a construction that is. What a feat of engineering that is. He makes it clear their purpose is ark-centric. In the Old Testament context, their purpose was to get the ark into the temple of God. Now, I trust most of you know where I'm going to go now. Because when you think about the ark, your mind immediately goes to Christ Jesus. He is the one who fulfills the ark. There is no ark now. There is no altar in this place because Christ is here and he's fulfilled all those types and shadows. And so as you contemplate the ark, you contemplate Christ. And you see him in the materials that are used to build the ark. It was made of shitting wood overlaid with gold. The shitting wood that did not corrupt. Incorruptible wood overlaid, united with gold. The perfection of Christ's person. Very God and very man. Two natures, one person forever. Joined together. Unseparable, but not mixed and merged. A true deity, a true humanity. 100% God, 100% man. And you see Christ in the construction of the ark. And within the ark is placed the law. Well, the second giving of the law, the law that was broken by the hands of man. And in that law, that law is placed within the ark and upon which is put the mercy seat, the propitiatory. And upon that propitiatory, there looks the cherubims, the cherubims who had the flaming swords in the Garden of Eden, barring entry back into the presence of God. They represent the justice of God. And as the blood is sprinkled upon the mercy seat, the cherubim oversee so that the wrath of God is appeased, propitiated, while the justice of God is satisfied. And there God says in Exodus 25, there I will meet with you. And we see in the picture of the ark, we see in that very picture, the blessed truth that through the work of Christ, God is pleased to meet with man. And God is pleased to reconcile himself to mankind. And it's all, it's all through the work of Christ. His person, his work, and his shed blood. And so, I want to say with all of every fiber of my being. When we're involved in the work of God and the building for God. 
It is not ever that people will admire the structure. It is that we bring the ark in. And that we ensure that as a people of God here, our purpose in building is that people would see the gospel in the face of Christ Jesus. And that wherever we go, whatever we do, there will be a recognition that when those doors open, souls are going to meet Jesus. And they're going to be confronted with Christ in the preaching of the words. No other nonsense. Just Christ, the ark in the midst of God's people. And so as we come as God's people, as they gather to the temple, they gather to worship God. To worship God in what was fulfilled in the coming of Christ Jesus. That must be our aim. must be our ambition. And sadly, so often, what happens is that the devil comes in. Distracts the church of Christ. Distracted by difficulties and troubles and concerns and worries. And the devil succeeds as we lose our focus. And we lose our ambition. I say with sorrow, I've seen it happen already. Not here, I'm not saying here, I'm saying other places. I've seen it happen. And suddenly there is not the joy of Christ-centered worship. Christ-exalting preaching. This is not a day to scold you. I genuinely, I am not scolding you. I am encouraging you. You are here to bring in the ark. You're here to make Christ known. That's your purpose. That's the reason that God has put a church in this place. It is that the ark will be seen in this dark community. This is not a word of scolding you. You know, get up and build. That's not my purpose at all. I want you to see the glory of your task. Angels, they could have come and done this task, but God has entrusted you with the task of bringing in the ark in this place. May God, may God help us, whether it be here, that we understand that we are living stones, build up a spiritual house, that we'd offer up spiritual sacrifices and worship Christ's name. That's something about our ambition. Finally, let me close with this, our motivation. Look what it says at the end of the text. They're to bring in the ark. They're to bring in the holy vessels into the house that is to be built. Not the name of Solomon. Not the name of David. Not the name of the people. But to the name of the Lord. We've got to keep our hearts We've got to give our hearts. We've got to keep our focus, our ambition. And we must do so with the right motivation. That we are stimulated in our service. With a desire for the glory of the name of God. That is God's purpose. Psalm 106. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. God's purpose is the glory of his own name. Our prayer. Joshua 7. Wrong time, right prayer. What wilt thou do unto thy great name? Psalm 74. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. God's purpose is glory. Our prayers must be his glory or pursuit. Revelation 2, verse 3. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored. And has not fainted. Keeping our motivation right is, is vital in the months to come. It's not about man. 
It's not about promoting free Presbyterianism. It's about pursuing the glory of God in his church. We're never, I don't think, unless God does something, I don't think we're ever going to be the biggest church in this area. It's a narrow way. Straight gate. Narrow. Few. There be that find it. Avoid always the temptation to follow the multitude to do evil. But, by God's grace, remind yourself that you're here to glorify God. It's about sinners being converted. Because that brings glory to God. It's about God's people pressing on. Because that brings glory to God. It's about being faithful to truth. Holding the word of God. Because that brings glory to God. It's about the heathen recognizing God is among them with truth. It's about people praying, talking about the greatness and glory of God. And so when we gather, and when you converse among yourselves, that your hearts are towards the greatness of your God. I think the sad reflection in so many of our churches and so many of our lives is that we don't really value God. We have a low view of God in our hearts. Therefore, we don't seem to get annoyed when his name is dishonored. And we don't seem to really care about the honor of his name. So we don't have the right motivation then. We're building for the wrong reasons. When you build for the wrong reasons, God sees through your heart. You build for the glory of God. That's the building that God's about. So... Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build to bring in the ark into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. I trust that by God's grace, this word will speak something to your heart. I trust that perhaps some of you who don't know Christ will realize that as I've preached, I believe with all of my soul that Christ is the only way to God. And the reason... The reason I'm so emphatic upon our need to preach Christ is because I believe that without Christ you are lost. And so you may think this message is not for you. Don't lose the implication of what I've said. You need to get to Christ. Without Christ you have nothing. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.